Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you do, turn please to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38 tonight. Look into this portion of God's Word. Well, let's pray. Father, you are our Father. We're your children. We take our place now before our teaching Father and ask you that through the Word tonight, you would teach us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 38, verse 1. Okay, here we go. Ready? And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and he called his name Onan. And she yet conceived again and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Hezib when she bare him. Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Onan knew that his seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house, till Shelah my son be grown. And he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Judah was comforted, went up to unto his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adelamite. And it was told, Tamar saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. She put her widow's garments off from her, covered her with a veil, wrapped herself, sat in an open place, which was by the way to Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was grown and was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she'd covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? I'll send thee a kid from the flock. She said, Will thou give me a pledge till thou send it? He said, What pledge shall I give thee? She said, Thy signet, thy bracelet, thy staff is in thy hand. He gave it her and came in unto her. Wow. <laughs> Mark this passion, R. Rate this R-rated. This is something a little heavy here. Okay, now, it's very important, though. It's a very important passage of Scripture. Judah separates himself from his brothers, and he goes now and he's intermingling with the Canaanites. In verse 1, verse 1, Judah intermingles where the Canaanite gets a new friend, a close friend, a best friend, named Hira. It's a close friendship. 
And then in verse two, Judah intermingles with an unnamed, she's really not named, this Canaanite woman becomes his wife in a sexual relationship. The Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about our need in Hebrews 12, one, where it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily doth beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Each one of us have a besetting sin. And you know what the devil's like? The devil's the tailor. You walk into his tailor shop and he says, let me cut you a jacket that'll fit you perfectly. It will be the temptation that will be right for your besetting sin. It's no secret here what Judah's besetting sin was. It was his sexual passion. And that was Judah's downfall. And this is the downfall of so many today. And now, he has now, from this union, three half-Canaanite sons came from this union. Verse one, he's got Ur. Verse two, verse four, he's got Onan. And verse five, he's got Shelah. Now, he fails totally in his role, what could you expect as a father to raise his children, the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is a responsibility that God gives to the fathers. That's part of the great Shema. In Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, rather, Deuteronomy 6, 4, it starts at verse 4, chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. It comes as instructions to fathers. It says, first and foremost, make sure your heart's right with God. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by thy way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So God called the fathers. First, you make sure you get your heart right with God, and then teach your kids by constantly talking about God all the time. That way you're gonna show them that it's not religion, it's reality. It's not religious classes, it's life truths. Too often, oh, the Christian school, they're going to teach my kids about God. Oh, the church, church is going to teach my children. God says, no, you. Now, Judah marries rashly. He's not giving any thought to it. He has no problem with him intermingling with the people. God said, don't you dare do that with a Canaanite. And in verse 6, Judah rashly chooses a wife for Ur. In verse 6, Judah took a wife for Ur. His firstborn, his name was Tamar. Tamar means palm. Now, We read what happened to Ur in verse seven, where it says, Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. We don't know what he did. God says, you don't need to know what he did. All you need to know is that it was wicked. What's interesting about verse seven is that it doesn't say Ur was wicked. It makes it clear that Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord. See, when verse seven adds in the sight of the Lord, two points just jump out at us. From that first, the in the sight of the Lord part tells us there's a criteria for what's wicked, and it's set by the Lord, not by man. Maybe someone would say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. After all, I know a lot of people who do that. I wouldn't call that wicked. It's just another way to live. I wouldn't call that wicked. The message, wicked in the sight of the Lord, is that it doesn't matter what man thinks. It only matters what God thinks and whether God sees something as wicked or not. And so we're told about Ur's wickedness. We're not told about Ur's wickedness, but we are told what happened as a result of it in verse 7 where it says, and the Lord slew him. Now, we don't know what his particular wickedness was. 
And we don't know how he died. Maybe he died in an accident, maybe he had a heart attack, who knows? Maybe he had a health condition. But one thing is for sure, he did not get away with his wickedness. God cut his life short. Now, Judah now, he commands Onan, the secondborn, he says to Onan, you gotta marry Tamar. Now, the idea here is to build families. And so if a husband died with no children, then it was his brother's responsibility, he was expected to marry the widow and to have children with her, and those children would be counted as the children of the deceased husband for inheritance purposes, so they could be passed down. Onan, he knows that if Er doesn't have any children, then Er's possessions would be partly going to him. So Judah tells Onan, he says, okay, go marry Tamar. Verse eight, Judah said unto Onan, go in unto thy brother's wife, marry her, raise up seed to thy brother. You know what's so great about the word of God? It's just tremendous, is that it not only reports what everybody else saw, but it reports what no one else saw, and like what Onan was thinking. We don't know. Onan, it reports what Onan was thinking when his father told him to go marry his deceased brother's wife, and it gives us an insight when we see this as to what the final judgment is going to be like. There's going to be a review, not only what people did, but what they thought And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ was intimating and he was getting at when he said things like in Matthew 5, 28, Matthew 5, 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Who knows if a man looks to lust after her? Who knows? God knows. God knows. And God's gonna judge based on looks and thoughts. So here in verse nine, we read about something that Onan is thinking. Verse nine, Onan knew that the seed should not be his, And it came to pass, when he went into his brother's wife, that he spilled on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. Okay, so Onan, he's got this plan. He's thinking it through. He's thinking, look, I'm going to just appear like I'm doing the obligation of fathering the children to my deceased brother, but I'm actually not going to do it. And we can see Onan thinking through this plan. He says, this is foolproof. No one's gonna see this. No one's gonna know. Who's gonna know? He said, there's one problem. It's a common problem with these kind of plans, these secret plans. God saw, God knew. And so Onan thought he could have this secret be all his. It'd be a secret sin. There's no such thing as secret sins. And God saw Onan's sin. And when it says Onan spilt it on the ground, very interesting, because the Hebrew word there, it's not spilled, doesn't mean spilled. They spilled, I guess, but it's not what it means. The Hebrew word here is shakat, shakat, which is a very, very important word. And three letters, all the Hebrew words are three letters, shakat. And also shoket comes from that, shoket, which is what my grandfather did for a living. It's a person who slaughters animals. My, my grandfather was a religious slaughter. And shoket and shakat, but the words mean, shakat and shoket means to destroy just like a chicken's life is destroyed by the quick action of a very sharp knife across his throat. This is what my grandfather did. And my friend Dorothy Greenstein's what her father did in Poland. He was a rabbi who did that as well. And she always just talked about the little box. No one of the kids ever went near that box. Very sharp knives. So it means to destroy. So behind the word spilled means destroyed. Onan destroyed his seed on the ground. This is an interesting word because this is a sexual sin. And the Hebrew word here used in the context of this sexual sin means to destroy. 
Destruction is a good description of sexual sins. Why? Because sexual sins destroy purity and innocence by self-pollution. Sexual sins destroy the ability, as in the case of Onan here, the ability to make children. So many STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, of which there are over 50, they result in sterilization. Sexual sins destroy the image of God as pure and holy in a person. Sexual sins destroy a person's dignity by degrading him down to the level of animals. Sexual sins destroy a person as a consecrated temple of God, which is the whole point of 1 Corinthians 6.15. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then make the members of Christ, make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth uh, is without the body, but he that committeth fornication is against, as in destruction, his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? You're not your own. Sexual sins, and maybe this is one of the worst things that sexual sins do, sexual sins destroy sensitivity to God. They destroy sensitivity to God. Lamentations 3.51 says, Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. So in other words, he's saying, I, when I look at these women, the writer is saying, when I look at these women, my eye, my heart goes cold toward God. I wonder why. What's being said here is that the eye lusting after the daughters of a city makes his heart grow insensitive to God. In other words, he's got no more interest in God. This is all what Hosea is talking about, all throughout the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter four, verse 12. Hosea 4, 12. The spirit of whoredoms have caused them to err. They have gone a-whoring from under their God. What's the spirit of whoredoms? Pornography. So many are caught in this spirit of whoredoms and pornography today. It causes them to err away from God, go away from God. Hosea chapter five, verse four. They will not frame their doings. In other words, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, that was sin. Frame the doings, you know? Not him, but anyway, that was sin. They went out for any of the doings. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they've not known the Lord. The spirit of whoredoms, it causes a person not to see a sin as sin. In Hosea 4.11, whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. See, pornography, whoredoms, take away the heart. Take away the heart from any interest in God. These are the reasons why shakat, is destroyed, destruction perfectly describes sexual sins. So anyway, so Onan, he thinks that what he does in the night is not seen by anybody. He's going to get away with it. But, but we read about God's response in verse 10. The thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Again, like with Ur, Onan did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, Hebrew, the verse literally reads, it's got two words, ra'ah and ayin. Ra'ah is evil or very bad, and I. So it's very bad in God's eyes. So again, God's watching. It's interesting that for most people, when you say, you know, well, the word sin, first thing that pops into their mind, some sexual sins. That's because the devil works so much in this area, and people's hearts get hardened toward God as a consequence of that. And again, just like God judged Ur in verse 7, he judges Onan before he says he slew him also. So what happens? Judah orders Tamar, go to your father's house, he says to her. He sends her home. He binds her to never marry again with this promise 
In verse 11, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Sheila, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah has promised Tamar that, look, as soon as the young guy grows up, Sheila, that he's going to be given to you and that you can be a bride. Now, what we want to do here is look at this situation from two points of view. First, the point of view of Tamar, and then we want to look at this from the point of view of Judah. Okay, now, looking at it from Tamar's point of view, Tamar, first of all, she's taken by Judah and given to his firstborn son, Ur, and Tamar sees Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed her husband. Now, Tamar is again taken by Judah and given to her brother-in-law, Onan, and Tamar again sees Onan did something that was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed Onan. Okay, now, third time, Tamar is now taken by Judah and commanded to go home to her father and wait until her younger brother-in-law, Sheila, grows up, and then she's promised that, that she'll become his wife. So Tamar's, from Tamar's point of view, she's young. She's young, and she's taken into this family with three brothers, two are dead, the last one's young, and she's condemned to widowhood and to wait for the young brother to grow up, and all she's got is a promise from Judah, and that's not exactly the dreams of a young woman, all right? So now, that's Tamar's point of view. Now, Judah's point of view. Okay, Judah, he moves to Canaan. At first, everything's going his way, all right? He meets a good friend. He sees a beautiful Canaanite. And he has three sons with her. He's God killed the first son. Then Judah sees God killed the second son. And now he's left with his last son. He's a little guy. He's alive. He's young. And now Judah's trying to figure out, oh, I wonder what's going on. Two sons died. He's trying to figure it out. Er and Onan both died. And he's thinking to himself, I wonder what they both had in common. Let me see now. You know, what did they both have in common? What did Ur and Onan both have in common that caused their deaths? What? They had the same father? Okay, they did. <laughs> How about they were both wicked in the sight of the Lord? Okay, they were both wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God killed them. That's really what happened, because the Bible tells us that. Judgment of God. But Judah, he doesn't quite see it that way. Why? Because Judah's displeasing to the Lord. So he can't go there. If he accepts that his two sons displeased the Lord, and then they got judged and were killed, and he's not going there. So Judah, he's kind of like this prostitute picture that we have in Proverbs 30, verse 20. Proverbs 30, verse 20, where it says, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth, and she does this. She wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. See that, you know, that wiping the mouth? It reminds us of Judah and the rest of the brothers. What were they doing after they threw Joseph in the pit? Anybody remember? They were eating. They were eating bread in the chapter before. they just thrown Joseph in the pit. He's screaming for mercy, and they're eating. And so we can see Judah. He's eating bread. And I wish he would keep quiet. He's disturbing our lunch. You know, the screams of Joseph. And we see him, you know, wiping his mouth and saying, I, we've not, we haven't done anything wrong. There's no wickedness. The last thought that Judah has is that God judged his sons for wickedness. 
And Judas is seen really when we consider, and this is what we wanna really kind of think about tonight, that's why I title this message is Joseph and Judah. And we wanna contrast Joseph and Judah. See, in this chapter, we see in verse two how Judah went out looking for sin and he found her. In verse two, you know, Judah saw their daughter, he took her and went in unto her. In the next chapter, we're gonna see Potiphar's wife went out looking for sin, and she found him. His name was Joseph. In the next chapter, verse seven and eight, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused. And then just like Judah took a Canaanite, we read in uh, Grab the Canaanite, in the next chapter, it says about Potiphar's wife, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So, in Judah's case, we see Judah looking for sin, sees his victim, Canaanite woman, grabs her, commits fornication with her. While in contrast, down in Egypt, his brother Joseph, he's the victim, seen by Potiphar's wife, she grabs him to commit adultery with him, and Joseph leaves his coat and runs to keep himself pure. This contrast is very important in the book of Genesis. It's the contrast between Judah and Joseph. Joseph represents the Lord Jesus Christ. We've just been singing about him. One of the things that happened at his birth, Christmas time, was the angel came and said to Mary in Luke 135, Luke 135, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. When he spoke of himself in John 14.30, John 14.30, he said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, no sin in me, no beachhead for him in here, in me, nothing for him to resonate with in me, no sin. As a high priest, he's described in Hebrews 7.26, Hebrews 7.26, that he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That's the high priest. Pilate, as judgment, in John 18.38, John 18.38 says, I find no fault in him as a suffering servant. He's described in Isaiah 53.9, Isaiah 53.9, he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. As the Lamb of God, as the Lamb of God, 1 Peter 1.19, a lamb without blemish and without spot. And as the one who took our sins away, 1 John 3, 5, 1 John 3, 5, he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. From the point of view of the thief on the cross, think about it parallel to him, he was Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41. This man had done nothing amiss. From the point of view of the centurion, think of the centurion looking up at him, he says, Luke 23, 47, 23, 47, certainly this was a righteous man. This is Joseph. This is Joseph. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is a type of the sinless one. That's why Joseph is so important in the book of Genesis, because Joseph is a type of the sinless Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful Joseph is. Judah, he's important in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, Judah, he's contrasted with Joseph. Joseph, the pure one who resists sin, Therefore, the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, Judah the opposite. Judah is the sinful one. He goes out looking for sin, and he finds her. That makes Judah a perfect type of Israel, 
the Jewish people that the Messiah come from, how are they described? In my Isaiah chapter one, verse two, here's how the description goes. God says, hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. I've nourished and brought up children. That's the Jewish people, that's Israel. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 